Welcome to Minx Your Morning, a podcast and Instagram live show brought to you by me, Liat Horowitz, your coach and cheerleader, helping you live the life you love. This is the daily dose of motivation you need to lift your spirits, clarify your goals, and set your intentions for a power day ahead. Stick with me to learn how to minx your morning and elevate your life. I'm excited to introduce you to one of my oldest and closest friends, Andy, all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa. She is mom to two beautiful girls. She's a magnificent artist. She's an art counselor and a psychoanalytic candidate, as well as a TEDx speaker. Clearly, you can see that the list of her credentials are endless. Every time I speak to Andy, we get into these really interesting and thought-provoking conversations about life, motherhood, work, the world, and so much more. She's one of the smartest people and for sure the most interesting people I know. I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Andy as she shares her insights into why moms and adults can't always act like grown-ups, which is the topic of her TEDx talk. She also shares what psychoanalysis actually is and why finding someone to speak to and help you understand life is so important. Okay, so this is very exciting for me because it's twofold. I mean, Andy and I have been planning to do this. I don't know why it's taken us so long, actually. Mm. I think we should actually have a regular slot. We should do like a regular morning show. I would love to figure that out. I know, right? Yeah, 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 and then we'll write our song around it. And then we'll like (laughs) a jingle. (laughs) A jingle. (laughs) Good morning jingle. Okay, so this is the story. I'll give you a quick background from me. I met Andy when we were early teen years and we became really close friends when we were 16. We won't share that story because it's let's not, not necessary. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. not. But we've been through a lot together in our lives. We traveled South America together. We've traveled other places together. We've lived in the same city together. We've been there for each other through the highs and the lows, sometimes not knowing how to be there for each other, but trying nonetheless. And yeah. we're now like real adults, like serious, real adults, like 40-year-old adults. Are we not? I don't even... I don't understand. <laughs> Are we though? Well, you're going to tell us. This is where you're yeah. the expert. And what's been interesting to me, and I'm going to hand it over to you in a second because you're going to tell us a bit about your background. But what's been so fascinating to me is that even from afar, like and knowing you so well from when we were younger, like how you consistently show up in trying to be more yourself, trying to learn more, study more, grow more in the areas that truly fuel you because I've seen it through the art and through like people and helping and understanding and like, oh, it's just so inspiring. Every time I hear you speak on your social media or TED talk, or we just chat ourselves, I'm like blown away at the magnificence of you. You're a fabulous <laughs> person. Okay. So I'm going to end it over. you like, stop, stop, <laughs> do it again. <laughs> I'm going to hand it over to you. Now I want people to hear from you. What's your story, Anne? Tell them. A bit of background and where we are at now. Okay, so I guess, yeah, so I'm currently, first and foremost, I'm a psychoanalytic candidate, so I'm training to become a psychoanalyst, and that is my current and career path going forward. My background is in fine art and art counseling, which is similar to art therapy, and um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just interested in mental health, mental health issues, like helping 
working with, with groups, working with mothers, helping find clarity in our family relationships. That's the kind of stuff that makes that makes me tick. And, and, and at some point, in, you know, I'm, I'm already seeing, I've got a small private practice in Joburg in South Africa. And yeah, and, and I work um, analytically with analytic treatment with, with patients. Fascinating. So mm. what I've always found interesting is that you always wanted to learn. Okay. And so I wanted to learn, but I guess in a bit of a different way, like you like doing the courses and the degrees and the books, you're like in it. And I'm just like, mm. I'm going to talk to as many people as I can and learn from yeah. them. So we complement each other in that way. Mm. Right. And yeah. what's always been interesting to me is how you listen and then you come up with a little thought or a little comment that like just is so thought provoking. And this is what I really would like to try and get across to people today if they're watching, because the way you think about things isn't the norm and it isn't, it isn't way out, but it's just like, "Mm, how about you think about it this way? And Mm. I always find that so fascinating. And when we speak on the phone, we have these like hour to two hour long conversations that afterwards I'm just like, what was that? It just got my brain ticking in such a great way. Can you tell us a little bit about what is psychoanalysis? What is it? And what is the difference between that and like therapy? Can you delve into that a little bit, please? Yeah. Okay. So psychoanalysis is, it's a a very in-depth type of psychotherapy. I'm sure it was started by Sigmund Freud. I'm sure everyone's heard about, at least heard the name Freud. And you always see it in those comic cartoons where the patient lies on the couch and then the analyst sits behind. Yes. So that form of therapy, you know, face to face with your analyst and you lie on the couch and it is also three to five times a week ongoing. So it's a very long, in-depth form of therapy. I shouldn't say that upfront because I think that immediately makes people switch off. But it's the, one of the differentiating practices of this kind of therapy. Um, and it's, it's modeled like that in a very important way. And it's because firstly, therapy is not, a, there's no such thing as a quick fix. If you want real in-depth loss, like long-lasting change, there is no quick snap your fingers, let's do this in six weeks. It doesn't work that way. Not for the kind of work that I do. And it's all, psychoanalysis is interested in the unconscious mind. It's all the stuff that's happening in our thoughts that we don't even know is that we're thinking about. And not only that, it is governing all our decision-making, all our relationships. So the hints of those sorts of things are like, if you can think of your life now, like, is there a, a mistake with a partner that you keep making? Do you keep going out with the same kind of guy? Do you, you keep running mm. into the same fight with your partner or with your kids? Do you keep finding yourself in a job that's unfulfilling, but there's similarities in the boss that you're working for? It's like these sort of these patterns. We're compelled to repeat stuff until we figure out what they are. So you have to make unconscious stuff conscious. So this type of therapy is designed to understand what you're not thinking about, why you're not thinking about it, so that you can slowly, slowly start to think about and face it and name that stuff, which is why it takes so long. Because stuff is unconscious for a reason. You have to respect that. You can't, we're not going to go in like a bull in a china shop and try and like rattle your unconscious. It's there for a reason and it it protects to some degree, you know? Fascinating. So may I ask then, let's say someone starts the process and they commit to it and they show up and they do the work. Once you start to like knock away at the outer, I guess, thoughts and beliefs, and then you get into the, did you call it the subconscious? Yeah, the unconscious, yeah. yeah. The unconscious. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you need to do with that then? Like, what's the goal then once you've realized, ooh, 
all the stuff because there must be so much boiling below the surface. What's the goal yeah. then? I'm not sure if it's a goal. This is where our work's so different. We talk about <laughs> yeah. this sometimes, you know, like you, you're in the world of goals and plans. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in the world of let's just sit and understand what this is and what this feels like. Let's just name it and like mm. survive it. Because I think, and this sound might sound a bit abstract, but I think the stuff that is unconscious has been put there by our psyches, by our minds, because it felt unmanageable. Once upon a time, when we were babies or toddlers, it felt like an unmanageable idea or feeling. So it got planted somewhere, like somewhere where you can't reach it. So it's, it's, a, it's a process of like surviving that thing again with someone, because you're not doing it alone. You're going through it with your analyst who's trained to hold you and contain all those things. So it's, it's more a process of being in something, surviving it, naming it, figuring out, like seeing the outline of it, understanding the textures of it, recognizing the patterns of it. It's a very immersive kind of experience. I don't know if that might sound quite abstract. No, it makes sense. But it's a beautiful thing, actually, because you're right. I am very much like, go, 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 goals, results, let's do it. But there is obviously place for all of it and necessary to do, I think there's both, you know, both sides of the spectrum. I have to say something and it's off our little script. Like I sent you some questions. We go through it casually. But when you start to talk about, and we're going to get into this because I know you deal a lot with moms and your TED talk, we're going to talk about that and you're going to share some of that. But I just have to tell you that like this thought that this, not a thought, a feeling that comes up when you speak about how it's happened when you, you know, something happened to you when you were a baby or a toddler and it's kind of been shoved to the back and then you can bring it up in analysis and so on. I get this uncomfortable feeling of like worry and fear mm-hmm. about what mm-hmm. I've done to my children. <laughs> like it's not <laughs> even about me. Like I don't even think about myself. I'm thinking about, okay, what? Cause my kids are now 10, nine and five, almost five. And I'm mm-hmm. like, especially the two older boys, it's like a, what have I done to it? What did I unconsciously or consciously do yeah. in bringing them up when they were little that may be sitting there going to cause them discomfort or pain or, or challenge in their life? Yeah. And that's yeah. hard for me to like, just whenever you say it, it's like, it goes straight to my heart. It's like, oh, what are they sitting with? You know what I mean? Hmm. I mean, mom guilt is a special brand of guilt. Like it's really something to, it's like really powerful. But I think, and this is what I tried to get across in my TED Talk. Mm. It is so ordinary. If your children have repressed something, it means they are normal and that all their functions are in place. Like you have to be able to repress things. Like it's a normal human way of managing something in a moment. Like if something feels overwhelming when they're a baby, it's ordinary. It's ordinary. Of course, something, you know, you, you have to go to work. You have to you know, close the door and, and leave them at home with someone else. And you have to, and then, and it's devastating for a baby, mm. you know, it's mm. devastating. It's the, it's gut wrenching, right? But it's ordinary. At some point in every baby toddler's development, they have to learn to separate. Like it's an ordinary part. And actually that separating and learning to manage that part of that repression process is how they're going to develop into like healthy adults. Like it's normal. This is the okay. thing. It's not necessarily a problem which is why actually anyone could go into analysis. You don't have to have like deep psychological problems to go into analysis because they're natural parts of our psychic development that everybody struggled with. It's normal. 
if you can imagine like when you were tiny, like you might have drawn a conclusion related to that feeling. You might have thought, oh, well, I don't know. My mom likes someone else outside better than me. And then that lodge, that idea gets lodged somewhere. And then that's the thing that needs to be worked through later, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. So Lily, my, my four-year-old, for those who don't know, she says to me the other day, she, she was scared of her swimming lessons and she wouldn't put her face in the water. And we couldn't get her to put her face in. We just couldn't get it. Like we couldn't get her to do it. And eventually I just asked, what will happen if you put your face in the water? And she said, well, my eyeballs will fall out. Oh, I'm sorry. And I was That's like, so cute. Oh, yeah. Well, I never told Shame. her that wouldn't. Yeah. How would she know, right? She's oh. little. She's four. She doesn't know. So she, in her mind, had a whole idea about what would happen if she put her face in the water. And now I can say to her, well, oh, well that's not going to happen. Like your eyes are connected to your head and whatever, right? So if you can imagine yourself as a baby or as a toddler making all these amazing concoctions of how the world works and why the adults are doing what they're doing, it's wrong. Like we get it wrong. Like it's natural mm. because you, you're looking at an adult world with a child's immature, undeveloped mind with no perspective and no larger world. They're going to get it wrong. So then what's nice is in an, an analysis later, you get to revisit those things that you got wrong with an adult mind, your own adult mind, and a very astute listening adult with you. And you can say, oh, that's what I thought. Oh, oh, that was wrong. Cool. It's gone. Wow. Oh, so, so And you're powerful. doing that with deep, deep, deep things associated to your success and ideas like around your success in life, being loved, all of that, like really deep, important stuff that on some level was so ordinary that you got it wrong, but you just didn't know it. And now you can really like get back in touch with those parts. Fascinating. We're going very deep here. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. We yeah. just get straight in our zone. How does someone know if someone is looking for help? There's two ideas of the kind of person I'm thinking about. There's someone who, who wants to get help and believes that some kind of help will be beneficial, but doesn't know yeah. what help to get. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do they figure out what kind of therapy or analysis or training or process is suitable for them? Mm-hmm. And then the yeah. other person is the person who doesn't know they need help. It really does. And they, they're a different kind of of breed, mm. right? So how, yeah. how does someone figure it out? Or how, if someone comes to you and says, Andy, I, I would love to speak to someone, how do I know what kind of therapy or talking I need? Yeah, like you said, there's, there's so many different types of therapy, very biased towards anything psychotherapy. So psychotherapy is, it doesn't have to be analysis because not everyone wants to or can afford to or needs to go into analysis as me, as, you know, this is, I love it. I love for me, you know, people, get up and go to gym, I go to analysis. Like it's part of my, my day. I love going. I love and I hate, but I more love going. <laughs> um, but, and that's the other thing Like for my training. It's not, I'm not only going for myself, but my training to become a psychoanalyst, it's, it is the only, to my knowledge, the only type of therapist training where you as the psychoanalyst have to have your own analysis before you take a patient in. Whereas I think in the psychology world, I hope I'm not making a mistake here, but from what I understand, in the psychology world, they like you to be in therapy, but it's not a prerequisite. And in the psychoanalytic world, we believe that you can't do for others unless you've 
taken it in and had it done for yourself and worked through all your own stuff. And then you start to recognize it in, in your patients and then you're able to help them with it. It's very experiential. The training, this is like 70% of the training. So that's one type of, you know, so I'm biased to that because that's what I've seen really work for me. But there's lots of types of therapy. And my, honestly, if, if you are, if someone out there really just feels like they need to talk to someone, they're suffering with a feeling, there's something that they're really battling with, go to Google. Just go and Google it. Google different types of therapy. Google will be able to tell you. And then uh-huh. you'll start to find links to therapists in your area. And they should have a web page and talk about what kind of work they do. Some therapists will work only with the problem in the present. And that might help you in the present. But will it get to the underneath stuff? I'm not so sure. You know, it might, but it's not what they do. Then you might want to see more like a psychotherapist or a psychoanalytic or psychodynamic therapist who will work more in the analytic way, but won't take you onto the couch four times a week. There we go. Um, or you okay. can go into an analyst, which is the longer term. So, so Google it. Google types of therapy uh, and see. I, I mean, I there's a lot that. out there written. There yeah. is a lot out there. And I think people don't even realize how much, or they get overwhelmed with the thought of, oh, I don't even know how to navigate this. So I'm just not going to look. And then that kind of defeats the purpose because obviously they... They were intrigued for a reason. They think they need yeah. it for a reason, right? Right, right. Fascinating. Okay, so let's talk about Ted. Let's talk about Ted, our friend Ted. So I remember <laughs> having countless conversations in the process leading up to Ted, like you applying to be a speaker, then getting chosen to do it, and then the date coming, and then all the mm-hmm. aftermath. Let's talk about the topic that you spoke about because you, you touched on it a little bit earlier. But mm. of course, it's really fascinating to me because I am a mom, but it's not just, you don't have to be a mom to get this and to find it interesting, but tell us about like the topic and just start talking about it. Cause there's so many angles I want to cover, but we can't cover okay. it. So you cover okay. what you want to cover. Okay. So the, the title of the talk is a mom can't always act like a grown up. Here's why. In the talk, I'm really interested in, I wanted to talk to mothers about all these unconscious forces that are at play between them and their children. Mm-hmm. So, and what is that and how do you recognize it and what is actually going on? Because as moms, you think that you should be your adult self and always be in control of your feelings, of your thoughts, of the dynamic between the two of you. But all too often there's like these explosive things that happen between you guys and we've all, we all did. And then, and then you, you know, like if you step, I don't talk about this in the TED talk, but like if you walk into a kid's room and you step on a piece of Lego and you like lose it, right? Like you just absolutely lose it. You throw the Lego across the room. You confiscate the Lego. You punish your child. And then like later that night, you're like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> like I was not an adult. And it's because, and so this is where I go into, into the talk, is that something happens when we're with our kids. We get in touch with parts of ourselves that are much younger that were dormant. So I talk, I use the example, I've got these, this little babushka doll. So I don't know if everyone knows yeah, so these little nesting dolls. So imagine, so I use this as an example in the talk, that if this is me, so I had my first child at 32, so I thought I was just this outer layer. And then when I had my baby, all of a sudden there were these parts of me that felt much more vulnerable and much mm. more out of control. And I didn't know what it was. And I thought it was because I didn't know what I was doing. And I was, you know, so I talk about that a little bit and then explain from an analytic perspective was actually going on. And what I think really, what I really think mothers need to know, because the idea is that you're not just this outside, but if you're 30 years old, 
You're not just a 30 year old, you're also a 29, 28, 27, 20, 19, 18, three year old person as well. Because after you have a baby, I mean, after, after you, you, you live, you live a year of your life, that year doesn't evaporate. The feelings and experiences that you had in that year doesn't disappear. It goes somewhere, like it goes into you, right? And it gets banked in a way. And mm-hmm. it's, a lot of it's unconscious banks, right? Especially from the early, early years because you, your mind wasn't developed yet, but you still had experiences and feelings. Babies are not pot plants. Babies have experiences. So that means that, you know, if you, if you keep going and like keep on looking into this little thing, that it actually means that a mom actually has the little baby inside as well. So now that baby is so unconscious. That baby part of your, of your mind is so unconscious. And it gets woken up when you have a baby because it's the closest you, little you, that's ever you've ever had. And so something unconscious gets woken up in you. And the unconscious something is really all your kind of vulnerable, worried feelings from when you were a baby and you were a toddler. As your kids grow, they activate that in you in every interaction. So while you think you're parenting as an adult all the time, you're not. You're parenting as all the yous. Kids are evocative and this is not a bad thing, but bad thing happens when you don't know that. And then you get into all these conflicts with your kids and power battles and things where you don't want to see something that they're evoking in you. And that's when it can start to become quite problematic. The point of my talk is to get to know those parts of yourself with someone who knows how to listen and and talk to them because they have something important to say. They're not to be squashed. If your little baby self is raising its hand and saying, like, I'm feeling vulnerable, like, that's important. And you deserve to find a way to talk to that little person and think about what that little person, there's a need there that hasn't been met. It may be a a need that will never get met. It doesn't mean you can get it, but you, you have to hear them out. So I'm all for analysis and analytic processes that will hear those layers of yourself because then, then it frees something up. If you can hear it in yourself, then you won't block it when you see it in your interactions with your kids. And then you can be a, then you can be a grown up again. So there's the key. Yes, it is. There's the key. And kind of the answer to what I guess I was asking before in the sense that you say when you unlock it, that's when it frees something up. And right. it kind of just relaxes some part of you in a way. So you don't have to have those. I guess, power struggles or whatever comes yeah. up in those moments with your kids. That I can relate to very much because, you know, like we speak about it a lot. Like it makes so much sense and it's not to make us feel better for losing our shit with our kids. It's not about that. Mm. It's not like saying, oh, it's fine. You can totally yeah. scream and shout and do whatever you want. It's about understanding where it comes from. And just right. your analogy, because you've been working on this analogy of the babushka way before the TED talk. You just managed to wrap it up in an 18-minute, I think it was an 18-minute speech or a 13-minute speech, whatever it was. So, of course, I'm going to be sharing the link to that TED Talk. And please do yourselves a favor and listen to it. I have listened to it countless times. I couldn't be more proud. But even if I didn't know you, I would have have listened with bated breath because it's really, really smart and just so thoughtful and also, like, just understanding. I think there's a lot of and me included, a lot of pressure to like, to hear, to learn, to and then go and do. But just to understand it at the deepest level and mm. sit with it and accept it is very, very powerful. And so, mm. yeah, you guys need to listen. It's really, really outstanding. And I know you worked really hard on it. 
I feel like that just means that every mom needs to have some kind of support, some kind of place to talk, person to listen to, right? If only we could all be in analysis, but it's not only moms, it's everybody. Because how can we go through, this is a bigger question, how can we go through these massive challenges in life like COVID and like loss and anything else that comes our way without being able to understand it? How? Yeah. I personally wouldn't have got through COVID without therapeutic support. Like I think that any massive life-changing milestone, you need to be able to think about it. That's the Mm. thing. You don't necessarily have to do anything about it, but you have to just to listen to yourself and see what's, what's bubbling up because it means something. If something is, you know, we suffer from, from feelings of something and then the feelings point to needs. Like why, why wouldn't you want to know what need needs to be met, you know? Ooh. Unfortunately, I think, I think that the, the needs, sometimes our needs are scary for us. There might be something linked to that need that feels a bit taboo or feels like shameful or, you know, and that, that's why the process is slow. Like right. that's why I like slow therapy because you don't want to go and rip off something that feels very, it's actually very ordinary, but might feel very difficult for the person who's feeling that, you know, why do they have that need, you know? Right. Makes me think about the word uncomfortable. Like we're so averse to being uncomfortable or being in discomfort, Mm. like in general, that we always, especially I'm finding as moms, you know, we're, we're looking to fix. And as adults, we're looking to fix everything. Like a problem comes up. It's like, how can I fix it? What can I do? It's not natural for us to just be uncomfortable or be in discomfort, at least not for me. I can't speak for anybody else. And Mm. so that's kind of an interesting aspect for me because Growing up, I didn't, thank goodness, I didn't face a lot of discomfort. Mm. But now as an adult, I struggle with facing it because I don't know how to. Yeah. So I want to learn how yeah. to do that. I think you're talking about something important there, that, that, that it's just about sitting in that not knowing kind mm. of uncomfortable space and what mm. that is, because it's uncomfortable for a reason. So then it's like, what do you do with it? Where, mm. you, know, you, want to get, you want to run away from that feeling, which your kid does something to you or activates something inside you that feels uncomfortable. You want to solve the problem as quick as possible. And that might be by sending them to their room or leaving the house or escaping because it's not your child that's doing that to you. It's the feeling they're evoking in you that you want to get away from. And then the child, you know, your child becomes collateral damage. If that makes sense, you know? Oh, Um, yes, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) It absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do with that? Like, is there a way to figure out what those uncomfortable things are so that you can know that they're there so that you can recognize them when they come between you and then they don't have such a hold on the relationship. And it doesn't have this like recurring pattern that doesn't actually help. Yeah. It breaks the pattern. Yeah. Sometimes I find myself saying things to my kids because it's become a script. It's become my script. And I'll say things like, I don't understand why you can't da, 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 or whatever it is. And I'm like, I'm even sick of hearing it like a broken record. They for sure, yeah. they don't even hear it anymore. They've tuned yeah. me out. But yeah. it's just because I'm in this loop and I need to sometimes step away and just be like, hold on a sec. That's not helpful. How do we, un- yeah. yeah, how do we? And I think that's going back to your, your original point there. It's like, I think that every mother, every person, but every mother also, especially someone raising other humans, needs to take time away from separate, out, step out of your world for a, 
bits at a time to just just to to sit with whatever it is that's bubbling underneath you know I think it will do the world of good I really do like I don't I don't think it's obviously got to be with the right kind of person who can listen in a particular way but I think moms should be talking I think they should be talking to each other they should be talking as much as possible because mm. I, th- I think I think mom motherhood can be very lonely because there's all the shameful stuff starts to come up and then what do you do with that like you got it will I promise you, you it will go somewhere there is it no will go somewhere. It. it doesn't it, it it has to go somewhere it has to it's like an energy that moves through you and your in, through your interactions with people it will go somewhere I promise you it might get thrown back at yourself it might get thrown it just has to it, it, it has to go somewhere so yeah God just see what it is you might not have to solve anything it might just be I to know just... that it's there and live it live through that you know it's a very refreshing thought. We don't have mm. to solve everything. That's really key because we, we are always looking for the solution, right? Yeah. For ourselves and for our children, especially. And even if it's work-related, it's like, what, you know, how, how can we fix it? How can we change it? How can we solve it? Yeah, it's not necessarily a doing. It's an undoing. You don't have to do something about anything. You just have to sit with something and then maybe it will just undo it. It like loosens its grip. Yes, it does. And it's, it reminds me of like, I don't know why, but whenever we speak about this stuff, I always get this feeling that like, it's like an excited feeling mixed with a little confusion. But (laughs) (laughs) because what it is, is like, let me see if I can put this into words. You'll say something or you'll ask a question. Yeah. And even when I've been working with some different coaches lately, they'll ask the question, ask a question. And I'm, I, I like to think of myself as someone who, like has an answer or can find the answer. Sometimes I don't have the answer and that stops me in my tracks and I actually enjoy it. It's a bit of a mm. challenge and it makes me think and it makes me realize like that, that that's the point. I should, I, I don't have all the answers. If I did, yeah. I wouldn't still be sitting here trying to figure it all out. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I find that personally, that's why I keep on my journey of whatever I choose to do and whoever I choose to speak to and, and learn and uncover. And I think that, that we share this mission of trying to get people to talk, to understand, to learn, to develop themselves in some way. Yeah. yeah. Right. We do it in different ways, but yeah. the base mission is still there. Yeah. yeah. It's how do you help people find meaning in their, mm-hmm. in their existence, whatever that means, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. so true. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who are not following, I mean, we can go on forever, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to wrap it up. For those of you who are not following, following Andy, you need to. She puts out very thought provoking little, little nuggets of gold in her content. You need to watch her TED talk and you can't have her as this, but you just need to have her as your bestie. Like I do. Like it's just, <laughs> I'm sorry for you really <laughs> that you cannot. That was a real pleasure to be I continued. Loved yeah, it. So nice. Thank you. Thank I you just feel like we us. have so much more to talk about, but we we have to think of other angles. If anyone's got yeah, questions for Andy, that. DM her. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Please. Yeah. That would be amazing. amazing. Okay. What are you going to go do oh, now? Thanks. Going to just hang out a bit until I have to go re-enter the world <laughs> of motherhood. I think <laughs> you'll just sit in that room until finally somebody finds you and knocks on the door. Totally. I hear you. Okay. I love that room. Send uh, send all the family my love. I will. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Minx Your Morning. If you enjoyed it and found it valuable, I would love it if you could take a moment to write a short review. Rate this episode and also subscribe to the Minx Your Morning podcast. That way, other passionate and driven people just like you will be able to find it. And if you're interested in kickstarting your dream life, book a complimentary trial coaching call with me over at www.liathorovitz.com. And come and hang out with me over on Instagram. My handle is at Liat Horowitz. Have a minxful day and see you next time.